Um, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We'll start our first session, uh, which is a panel discussion around the barriers to business beyond borders. Um, I'm James Pinchbeck. I'm a partner with Streets Chartered Accountants and chairing the panel. Um, why is an accountancy firm chairing a panel? That's a good question. Um, other than I'll put in the context, as a firm of accountants over the last 15, 20 years, we've seen a growing number of clients looking at business overseas, uh, either trading or investing and developing business. And we're also in the process of setting up our own global network of accountancy firms to support the work of our clients. So I'm also involved in various boards around Lincolnshire, around the economy as well. So there's a broad context to me chairing this panel. It's not just somebody randomly plucked from the air and off the street. Um, if I may, first of all, apologies from one of our uh, panel members, Richard Blakemore, uh, Blackmore, who from the CBI, who unfortunately is not able to join us this morning. Um, the other panel members are delighted because that gives them extra time, um, and also you extra time to ask a few more questions. Starting from my left, I have to now glance because I'll introduce the wrong person, that'll be embarrassing. Um, I'm delighted to welcome Kate Ellis from uh, City of Lincoln Council. Katie is a director and responsible for major projects and growth uh, activities within the city of Lincoln, uh, which many of you no doubt have visited and seen recently the uh, prosperous sense of Lincoln has uh, with the new transport hub and many other projects going on. Also then, following on from uh, Kate, is Charlie Rugrock, who's um, uh, uh, from the Department of Industri International Trade uh, and is responsible and involved in an awful lot of activity about digital optimization marketing around developing markets overseas for uh, both small and large businesses. And then finally, or not least, is uh, Gary Headland, who is representing uh, the, the panel today as a Midlands export champion. Uh, he is also um, chair of the Greater Lincolnshire branch of the Institute of Directors, and as I'm his, his chairman of the board, he also has a day job um, as a CEO of Lincoln College Group. Um, the panel have all been invited to spend five minutes of introduction uh, around their thoughts uh, on business beyond barriers. Uh, following their, their presentations, we'll also then take uh, questions. If you have a question, if you want to raise your hand, this is ideally going to be an interactive session. Please do so. Um, and finally, before we start, can I ask you to switch your, well, I don't think I'm making any difference in here, uh, silent or non-interrupter mode, or if you want to use your phone or mobile device to Twitter that you're at an excellent City X event at uh, Newark Showground and what a vibrant place it is, please feel free to do so. This session is being recorded to be broadcast tomorrow. Uh, via CityX, so I say that as a word of caution in case you say something you regret. It can be edited, uh, but I'll warn you now. So we're going to start uh, with Kate, who's going to say, give us her first five minutes. Thank you. Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, can you hear me okay? Because uh, the acoustics aren't, aren't great. Okay, um, I'm very pleased to be here. As a local authority person talking about business and the opportunities across barriers, um, I am going to focus mainly on the kind of public sector-related opportunities. Because whilst in the city, there's obviously a whole range of procurement opportunities currently across a whole range of different types of sectors, we do actually do a lot of work across Lincolnshire and also 
across the region um, and we work with a lot of uh, businesses and suppliers that are national and international. Um, so one of the main barriers at the moment is the fact actually there is a whole host of opportunity. In fact, one of the issues is there's so much opportunity, it's about where do you target and how do you target that. Um, so one of those things is around frameworks. So as the public sector, uh, the public sector is shrinking, um, the range of things we get involved in is broadening. Um, so we actually have a much more active procurement um, strategy now than we did previously. Um, and that's because we tend to buy in a whole range of specific skills and expertise um, as and when we need them. Um, because we've got reduced resources, we tend to use frameworks more and more. Uh, but we also have moved much more away from cost being a key driver. So I wouldn't want anyone to think that it's not, because it absolutely is still important. But actually, the thing that has better value to us is around what's the impact of the work you're going to do have locally. So that whole social value, that whole local employment is very important but also because reputation and delivery is actually the name of the game. What we're looking for is people who know what they're doing, who've got the right attitude and approach, and who can deliver. And that's about individuals within a business, and it's also about track record. So one of the key barriers, actually, is getting known. So you as an individual getting known about what your skill set is, what your experience is, how you can deliver, what you can do, as well as that of the business that you work with. And because a lot of these things tend to be procured in sort of groups of things, then we're seeing much more and we are encouraging more businesses to work collaboratively. So working with other businesses who can provide some of the skills and expertise and some of the um, work that's required so you can work together. It spreads the risk. It means that you can offer a wider skill set. Um, and working with those businesses to offer a partnership is very, very attractive to the public sector. Um, so getting yourself known as an individual is really important. Um, it's also about then the networking, because these opportunities, so effectively anything that isn't on a framework, so below 25,000, that kind of ilk, tends to be people who are known or recommended. So the networks that you're involved in are really critical to that. So people knowing what you can do, what you can deliver, what your track record is, is really, really important to that. Um, it's also about um, if you... If there's opportunities like this to come to events, talking to people so that you do get those referrals um, is, is, again, a very important thing. Uh, the other thing I would say is that websites are something that people quite often, businesses see as a way to promote themselves. Actually, we tend to use them to verify and check that what we're being told is correct. So that's where we expect to see people's track record, examples of things they've done, some further background information to effectively verify what we're being told. So I think the barriers are definitely around too much opportunity, so you need to target, but also knowing how the frameworks and the processes work and working collaboratively. So that's kind of a, just a flavour. I think I've gone over five minutes, but still OK. All right, thanks.
Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Good, you're all looking quite alert. It's the first session of the day, so not too, not too heavy. Um, my name's Charlie Rugrock. I work for the Department for International Trade. Um, can I just see a sh uh, raise your hand if you've heard or worked with the Department for International Trade before? A few of you? A few of you not so sure. We, you may know us as UKTI. Um, we do tend to be known as the best kept secret in government um, because people that do work with us actually do get a lot of value and use out of us. So we are the department that is set up to help businesses like yours um, trade internationally. So we have a team of international trade advisors that work with you on a one-to-one -one basis um, to set up your international action plan and, and become exporters along that export journey, whether you're just starting out or whether you are already an experienced exporter and moving on to that next stage. Um, I am an e-commerce specialist, so I work with companies specifically on uh, internationalizing their digital strategy and how they can optimize their website for, for international trade. Um, and I'll go into that in a little bit more detail later. So um, we have our international trade advisors. One of them is, is sat at the back there, Dale. Um, give us a wave, Dale. Great. Um, so, so he can work with you on a one-to-one -one basis to, to, to internationalize your, your, your strategy. Um, most of the businesses we work with are accidental or organic exporters. They start exporting by mistake almost. They get um, orders in from countries around the world, either via their website or via referral, and it's reactive strategy. It's not, we want to target that market and go after it. So one of the big barriers that we see is understanding a market, doing your due diligence, the research, um, looking at where the opportunity is for your product or service, looking at who the, who the, who the people are that you want to sell, uh, sell to, and the operational model that you need to put in place to be successful when you trade internationally. When you're reactive, you just, you just take it for granted. Any, any additional orders you get is a bonus, essentially. However, if you put a bit of strategy and thought into place, then you can actually be more proactive and grow exponentially in some instances. Um, and from my perspective, uh, a website or a digital strategy is the best tool that you have to do that. Um, and the reason for this is because the internet, generally speaking, is a global platform. It is accessible pretty much anywhere in the world, barring North Korea and certain other countries. There are some restrictions in China as well, but. It's, 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 it's there, are, there are challenges for those that you can overcome. So you're using the internet as a fantastic tool to access new customers as a global presence. So it can be as simply moving from a .co.uk to a .com so that you increase your, your search visibility in those countries, as well as creating specific country landing pages, translations, and things like that. So actually accessing new customers is fairly easy. Um, it may sound cheesy, um, but our last tagline of our campaign was, um, the opportunity is out there, you could be too. Um, so there really are people looking for British products, British services, we have a good, um, on, on the scale of ease of doing business, we are very high up there. So it means that you have a really good opportunity to sell your products internationally. So their <laughs> customers are there, it's just, how you can position yourself in front of them and how you can deliver your products or service to them. And we can work with you on a one-to-one -one basis or workshops or, or however you see fit 
um, to, to kind of understand that and do the research, work out the regula regulations that you need to go through, the tax implications, the logistics, so that you can prepare yourself for growing in those markets. So oh, basically what I'm saying is the main barrier to, to, to international growth is understanding. Once you understand a market and understand the presence, then you can really, really grow. And we are here to help you do that. That might be a little bit brief on time, but I hope that's useful. So if we can, you can. Can you hear me okay at the back? Yeah, so if we can, you can. There's a strap line around a whole campaign which uh, several of the export champions, many of the export champions across the Midlands region have been using to get the message out there that all sorts of businesses can operate across borders uh, and internationally. So as you heard, my day job here in the UK is to run three colleges, the Lincoln College, Gainsborough College, both of which are in Greater Lincolnshire, and the Newark College here in, in, in Nottinghamshire. So we're already operating across UK borders. But it might surprise you to know that we also operate in three colleges in China, and we've operated there for, for nearly a decade. And we have two large colleges in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So if we can, you can, across any, any sector, um, would be my, my contention. Um, I just wanted to share, because I've only got five minutes, and I could probably speak for 45 minutes without breathe, uh, breathing on this subject. Um, so there's an offer there. If you want to follow up anything, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, uh, you know, prolific uh, engager with uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. So feel free to engage, and I'll happily give you my time uh, to, to give you more information. Um, but the three bits of, I, I call it advice, it's not for me to advise you, just to share some of our experience, I suppose, about the challenges of operating across borders. So the first is, I, I, I'd describe it as the wrong catalyst. So be really clear about the catalyst for change. If it's about making a fast buck, I would suggest that's the wrong catalyst to operate um, internationally. And yet I do hear people talking about this. They almost get to a point where growth in the UK is, is, is uh, not possible, and therefore it's an easy buck uh, to operate offshore. And, and in my experience, it's, it's the polar opposite uh, of that. Um, I, I would suggest um, operating offshore would be uh, a good way of uh, achieving a long-term financial strategy, creating innovation, resilience, um, and productivity for your company. But a fast buck, I wouldn't suggest it is that. The second piece of advice or uh, um, experience I'd share is making sure you have the ability to invest in growth. Quite a lot of companies I've come across have, have gone into an international market, but they're trying to operate from an already fragile UK position. You, it, you need to be prepared to enter into a market and, and you know, operate on different terms. You're not going to get paid on 28-day fixed terms in some markets. You might in some and you might in others. You just need to know that you've got a pot to invest in and you're not trying to do it through your in-year income and, and expenditure accounts. And the third point, um, and I think this is the offer, you've got people from the Department of International Trade here in the room and myself as an export champion, is make sure you've got, if you haven't got organic experience and information inside of your company, 
that shouldn't be a barrier to, to operating internationally because there's a mass of it out there. And my own organisation has benefited hugely from working with the Department for International Trade, from UK Export Finance, both here in the UK where you're trying to assemble a deal and put it together and the structuring of the finances, etc. But also once you're up and running, so we're in our fourth year in Saudi Arabia and just last week we had Her Majesty's Ambassador uh, to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia in one of our businesses promoting our company. So it doesn't just stop with a bit of advice here in the UK. It's actually a relationship that you form with the DIT. Got loads more to say and hopefully it'll come out in the panel discussion. And as I say, feel free to engage with me on social media. I'd be really happy to, to connect. Thank you. Uh, we now open up to our panel for a few questions. Um, I think it would be interesting to start with what are the drivers for doing being business beyond borders or barriers. Um, a lot of businesses historically have looked at um, increasing sales when they've got a little bit of excess capacity. They've produced or manufactured goods and they go, oh, we've got another few boxes of that. Let's see if we can go sell that overseas. And it may be to France or somewhere they've been on holiday. You know, it just, it's a random decision and a knee-jerk reaction. So I'd be quite interested in, uh, particularly from Gary uh, and Kate and Charlie, what they see as the drivers for uh, developing uh, business beyond the boundaries. And, and I think also it's quite important to look at a lot of what we're talking about is sales or developing revenue. I think there's a great opportunity to look at things like skills, supply, logistics, expertise. Um, we talk about workforce source problems. The, what other what things may you look at? So what do you see as the drivers for your doing business outside what you might be a traditional area of operation geographically or otherwise? Gary, if I this working? Can you hear me at the back with this? Yeah. Um, for, from our perspective, there were two main drivers. The first was a financial driver, um, and you know we were at, at a point where, frankly, we uh, and I won't get into any politics here, but we were unable to sustain our UK operations over a strategic plan period without generating additional um, revenue and and uh, contribution um, in order to sustain the UK operations. So. Um, when looking at U both uh, UK and international commercial opportunities, there was a driver around creating the ability to invest in education in Lincoln, in Gainsborough and in Newark uh, by generating additional revenues and, and profit. The second driver, which in many respects is much more interesting, was we wanted to create additional capability and capacity for education. Um, and you know, the, the ability to operate in China and Saudi Arabia, to learn from them and to innovate with them to create new capabilities has been fantastic. So uh, as an example of that, so, so it doesn't sound too abstract, uh, we, we've got a, a, in Saudi Arabia a large faculty of teachers with PhDs and master's degrees in specialisms that we, we haven't got in the UK. And just recently, using our Microsoft Showcase capability, which we've invested in in Lincoln, we had one of our PhDs, uh, PhD in English as it happens, teaching a group of students in Lincoln through technology. Uh, the world's a small place, I, I, I guess, and makes more through digital. Um, so the, the drivers, financial, and also accessing innovation and additional capabilities and capacity. Okay. I might need, oh, there we go. 
Um, so I work with a lot of SMEs, and um, what I see as a, as a big driver for, for a lot of businesses is opportunity. Um, so whether they find out about that opportunity to talking to their suppliers or going to a trade show or having inbound uh, orders via their website, something sparks that enthusiasm in, in the director. Um, it tends to be a director-led um, strategy, um, and directors tend to be of a culture where they want to grow and they want to, to strive forward. Um, so it, it tends to be a cultural thing as well. So in the UK, we are historically a good trading nation, and we have a lot of skills and specialism, and in a lot of fields, we are ahead of everyone else in the world. So that opportunity really has that competitive edge here. So when a director or, or, or someone within an organization sees that, they really strive forward and push it forward. Um, so, so yeah, it, it tends to be an opportunity-led um, strategy or a reactive strategy. So yeah, thank you. Um, for the city, uh, and I think most of the, the public sector, certainly locally, one of the key drivers is around supporting local business and encouraging that growth for our economy. So supporting our businesses to export and trade differently is really important to supporting that growth. It also has a number of benefits for the public sector. So some of that is about, there's some really good examples of where things have been done very, very well in other parts of the world and taking some of that learning and that innovation and bringing it to um, the UK and how we do business and how we develop things um, is, is really important to us. Um, I suppose the other driver for us is the fact that there is a lot of activity in the public sector at the moment driven by house building, driven by growth, um, and there is a, a shortage of particular skills in certain areas. And actually, the only way we're going to be able to deliver some of that growth and some of that investment is by having certainly a more European and a more global um, involvement in delivery. So what we're trying to do is to ensure that we support our local businesses, support them in going into those markets so that we can get a different offer, so that we can get a different skill set. So for us, that's certainly the, the, drive, the two main drivers. Thank you. Um, before we move on to the next sort of topic, uh, any questions from the floor on uh, why people are doing things, what the drivers have been? Or no, You don't have to have questions. I uh, don't want it just to see it as a one-way show. Um, thank you. The, 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 moving on then, the, the next one is Kate touched on it, and I, and I know from um, a college perspective, and I'm sure Tony will agree when he meets a lot of his, the people he works with, one of the big challenges is there are probably too many opportunities how do you assess which opportunities to run with or not to run with? Or, um, you know, it, or is it the danger is you do nothing or you do the wrong thing? Uh, uh, Kate, if, if start with you on that one. Yeah. Um, there are too many opportunities in lots of ways. Um, the ones that we see that uh, come to fruition are where people have focused on their strengths and what they have to offer. Um, and they've broadened that strength by looking at where they want to take their business and where they want to uh, grow their business into. And then they work with people who are really good in that area of business. So we used to have this whole thing about working with others was seen as working with your competition. Whereas actually, I think we've moved a lot to actually collaboration is really important and bringing those different skill sets together. Um, so my advice would be to stick with with your strengths 
your strengths as an individual as well as within your business and then work with other people who are really good in an area where you can offer them something and they can offer you something and branch out but you absolutely need to know where you're going um, because and you have to be you have to do some research as well into yeah. so for example if you want to be involved in different frameworks or be part of a supply chain into a framework there are some very very good frameworks and there are some frankly appalling ones um, so you have to make sure that you work with the that you do that research to make sure it works for your business yeah, yeah I, I, I can't oh, mirror yes. that and I think within business, it's easy to get distracted by, by the next project or the next thing, um, and you can end up flitting around and, and dividing your resource. Um, so it's very important to, to, to do your research and, and plan. Um, it may not sound the most glamorous side of exporting, but actually that's the core of what you need to be doing. So um, within, within our region, we have a research specialist who can sit with you and do a, a market selection exercise. So it will look at ease of doing business versus the opportunity, and they can identify routes to markets and the, the, the landscape of, of, your, uh, of your sector as well. So using that research to put in a strategy and a plan in place and try not to get distracted, that is, that is key, key as well. We also have teams around the world in post that can do in-depth market research as well as introductory services so they can actually introduce you to potential buyers and, and warm them up and vet them through that process as well. So there are some really good resources that we have that can help you do that research and plan. The other thing is do your due diligence. Make sure that that, that customer is a, a valid customer and can support a long-term relationship as opposed to a, a kind of a, a one-hit wonder, if you like, because it is all about sustainable growth rather than those one-off ad hoc deals because you could end up just chasing those around all day. Um, so yeah, do your due diligence, do your research, and make sure you plan, plan your strategy. And the other thing is not to, not to drop your ball on your domestic market as well. So setting up operationally and resource properly so that your, your domestic sales stay strong and that your international sales are, are purely for growth. Thanks. Um, I think key here is authenticity. So as an organization, being absolutely clear about what you are and what you aren't, um, because I, I agree with uh, other panelists, uh, yeah, it is easy to get distracted chasing things uh, where either win probability is quite low or actually you ought not be winning it because the ability to deliver it successfully uh, is, is low. So I think if I look at a couple of the companies um, exporting successfully, so if you look at Norton's, you know, Norton and, and the boss of Norton's uh, is one of the export champions. You know, there's, there's real clarity around what the company is and what the company isn't. In, in Lincolnshire, there's a, a smallish company called Beauty Boulevard. And again, they're operating very successfully in many countries. I think it's as many as 40 or 50 com companies. And they're, they're really clear about what their product is and therefore their ability to, to deliver. For us, we're, we're clear about our strategy and therefore, th that keeps us from pursuing uh, just a myriad of opportunities and spreading ourselves too thinly, uh, and, and it thus doing uh, creating too great a risk profile. Um, so, a, a clear strategy and, and uh, pursuing opportunities that sit inside of our strategy. I, I'd echo what was said just a moment ago about due diligence, with a, a very obvious and simple point, but not always. Um, great in practice, which is you can't do due diligence from your desk in Lincolnshire or Nottinghamshire. 
operating internationally requires relationships and you need to be prepared to travel and go and spend time with people, in my experience. Thank you. Any questions about how you assess the opportunity? I think you've heard that there's, there's advice and support there. The first thing is probably not to go for global domination in day one. Um, it's to identify which, which market is attractive and appropriate for you, to you uh, and how you're then going to exploit it, which probably need, any further thoughts on that? Lady there, yes. You might, you might kind of... I'll have to... If, if you could say who you are and where you're from, if that's all right, please. Thank you. Hello, I'm, I'm Lisa Longstaff. I'm from North Lincolnshire Council. Um, we work as part of Economy and Growth. Um, just a quick question for Charlie. Um, you mentioned about DIT um, support um, for businesses going to export, um, the research, market, introductions. Is there a charge for any of that service, or is it purely um, for businesses to actually contact through ourselves um, and find the right person? That's a good question. Um, the majority of our services that we run regionally are free of charge, so we try and keep all our workshops free of charge. There may be some um, small fees for some workshops, depending on um, whether you get tea or coffee or lunch, and it's, it's usually to cover that cost. Um, and then we have our ITAs that are, again, free of charge, um, and our research specialist is recruited by DIT regionally, so again, a, a free of charge service. You, he is very much in demand, so there may be a bit of a waiting list because uh, he, he does deliver a good service. When you start looking at some of the international services that are delivered by post, there may be some charges involved. So our OMIS service, which is the full market research and introductory service, is there may be a charge there, depending on which country you're targeting. Um, and it's all to do with our delivery partners and our delivery network. Um, but those charges are actually quite reasonable because we try to run them as a not-for-profit as opposed to some of the more um, uh, consultancy agencies like KPMG and, and Pricewaterhouse. They will charge um, quite significant amounts, whereas we try and keep ours quite reasonable. Um, so yes, there are chargeable services, but they do tend to, if you, if you action on them and, and follow them up correctly, then yes, they can be quite useful. Thank you. It's all right. Um, any further questions on that? Uh, if I may, Gary, could you just talk about what the role of a Midlands export champion is? Is that to help support people through the, the expert, export journey? Yeah. Okay. Switch your microphones. Um, yeah, I, th I think you know we are volunteers. Um, for, first of all, I'd like, like to point that out. So um, there are, I believe, 28 uh, champions across the Midlands uh, region of people from all sorts of sectors, uh, public, private and third sector, who are willingly giving time to help others um, to um, export uh, services just simply by sharing um, our experience. It doesn't mean it's right, it's just our experience, which is why I think the, um, the range of companies in, in involved is, is quite useful. And, and you can find this fairly easily, it's a quick Google uh, search and you'll find the company that's probably most linked to your business um, and just reach out. You know, yeah. you know, part of the commitment was we're prepared to be contacted and we'll share our, our experiences warts and all. Um, good, honest engagement. Yeah. Okay. And we are volunteers, as I say. And Strapline, if we can, 
you, you can. can. Um, so there's experience there to help. I think there is there's generally a lot of support out there for businesses and organisations looking to develop overseas uh, and widen their operation. Um, but equally, there's a challenge about the internal resources organisations have. And all too often what you find is there's a, there's a plan to develop some international business or outs, business outside your area, and it's discussed at a meeting, somebody gives them sort of vague responsibility, and then there's a failure to implement. There's another version of that I could describe, uh, but generally an FTI, a failure to implement. How, how do you ensure that your, your overseas or new initiatives in any organisation come to fruition, and what sort of resources do you need in an organisation to exploit that? So this is where my military background will, will come uh, to the fore, I think. So um, before you operate anywhere internationally, you send a recce team. And the recce team's job is, reconnaissance team, is to go and work out what you need on the ground in order to get the job done. Uh, that was fairly plain English, actually. It wasn't, that wasn't too bad. Yeah. It normally goes to masses of jargon at that stage. Why would business be any different? You know, we set up four years ago um, a, what is now a £30 million company in the Middle East. You can't do that with a single person or a couple of people on the ground. You know, in the same way that you have to do due diligence really, really effectively to operate at that sort of distance, you need to invest in startup properly. You know, if anyone's trying to sell you an offshore investment that's going to make money in its first year, run. Run really, really, really fast, unless it's a simple services contract. You know, if you're setting up a substantial operation, make sure there's a proper investment plan, and that involves people with proper expertise across the range of functions. And beware any heroes, you know, any single person that's going to go up and start your business um, internationally, be really careful. Because it's so easy for them to get seduced into the environment. Um, and you need a team that holds itself to, a, to, uh, to account and has the full range of capabilities. So someone that's going to do client relationship, someone that's going to really focus on the numbers, mm -hmm without that direct contact with the client, and then someone who's just a great operator. It might be infrastructure or whatever your core service is. So a proper team. Yeah. Um, I would say it comes uh, very much down to the planning, is understanding what resource you need and how you're going to use that resource, um, and being smart about your resource as well. So identifying what resource you already have as a company, so who's going to be leading on the project, who can take on those extra responsibilities if that's required. Um, who you can partner with, so if you're using a partner company or an agency, what responsibilities and roles they're going to be taking up. Um, and also any additional resource that you want to recruit internally or outsource. So whether you want to look for, for an agency to, to, to deliver content or um, do translations, it may not be a, an internal job, it may be an ad hoc basis. So it may be a case of, of using your resources smartly, <coughs> identifying what you need and where you need it and, and adapting appropriately. Um, we also have some fantastic ties with some of the universities, so if you do need some student placement programs, that is a fantastic offering um, because they can work on a part-time basis and they tend to be international students that work on a part-time basis and that is a fantastic way to really kind of, as a business, get someone part-time to, to help resource you. Uh yeah, the only thing I was going to add is that um, a couple of the businesses um, that I'm aware of in the area who are very good at exporting 
um, did try initially um, experimenting with working in another part of the UK. Um, so they, they looked at a business opportunity some distance away um, just to try out what the resources, to try out actually what the pool would be um, so that they kind of did a bit of an experiment on some safe ground by at least dealing with some, uh, an area where the language bar wasn't a barrier, um, where actually they could respond. Um, so depending upon what the type of business is, um, I've seen that work very well where you experiment with different bits of, of the UK market first. Thank you. I'm going to move on to um, getting yourself known. I mean, I think that was one of the things you touched on there, Kate. Um, particularly with Charlie's background and, and, and there's an awful lot of people said well we've had a visit to our website and someone's bought something from Ukraine with there must be a market and, and the danger they exploit it but one of the big challenges is how do you get yourself known in those overseas markets or new markets uh, and, and what do you need to do to win the business I mean there are cases you hear about where people they make one visit to China and think uh, and bear in mind the size of China and they think they're going to win business from day one uh, there's an awful lot of groundwork and, and, and activity that needs to take place so what sort of in terms of marketing do you think you need to put in place or collateral to win the business at the end of the day yeah, so it depends how far down the line you want to go. You can do some very simple, easy ways to, to internationalize your, your digital presence. Um, so it depends if you're a, an e-commerce business as well. If you're an e-commerce business and you're selling on Amazon.co.uk, within a few clicks of a button, you can go onto the Amazon European model, which means that you can sell in the five European countries overnight, and that extends your market. It's very quick, it's very easy, and you will get incremental sales. To do it properly, it would help to internationalize your listings and do the translations, as well as looking at VAT and logistics options to make sure that you're fully optimized for that model. Um, you can then expand into Amazon.com, Amazon Australia now, Amazon India, and potentially even Amazon China. So that is a, a good e-commerce way to roll out. In terms of B2B, um, translating a landing page could be an easy start or you can have a fully translated website um, and because we are very good at digital marketing in the UK if you apply the same practices and principles that you do here to your international website then you will have a serious competitive edge and grow that traffic um, the question is the more effort and time you put into it the better your conversions and traffic is going to be so it's how far down that scale you want to be and how much resource you can dedicate to it. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it can be very easy with, with, with global tools like um, Facebook advertising, Google advertising. Um, it means that you can, you can quite quickly grow. But it's a case of thinking about it, targeting the right audiences. It's all very well and good getting lots of traffic, but if none of them are converting, then it's not really worth your time and effort. So it's, about working smarter rather than harder. Um, two, two responses to that. The, f the first, um, I'm not a marketing uh, professional, but I remember um, about 100 years ago I did an MBA and um, within that I remember the model called the marketing mix and it applies internationally just as it applies in the UK. So be clear about your product, be clear about your price, uh, be clear about the place in which you're operating, um, and that's you operating in their place, not them in yours. 
quite an important point when you're operating internationally. And then, again, in promotion, don't have you know, a British or Western view on how you promote to a different client. Understand them. You can't do that from the UK, excepting some uh, sectors. But in many cases, you need to go and understand. And again, this is where I found the embassy staff to be particularly useful. So you get the support in the UK. But my first point of call every time I'm in Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which is once, about every once every three months, uh, and if there's a bid, I'm over there a bit more often. Uh, but I always go to the, the embassy and go and get that local information. I meet um, with the chamber when I'm there, the British Council and other organizations, and just go and get that local information. And, and don't try and impose our model on it. You know, I suppose the vernacular, isn't it, is when, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, so really understand. Kate, did you want to add I was just quickly going to say that um, it is about using the advice um, and uh, people who, are, who have done it and are doing it. So there is a lot of advice and help, and it is tapping into that because then that's a way of getting contacts um, established. Thank you. Thank you. Um, any further questions before I ask? The, I'll give the panel a second, just a, a sort of parting words of wisdom. You know, the one message they want to give you about uh, developing business beyond boundaries and borders. Um, so, any further questions from the panel or the floor, rather? No, thank you. Uh, so, yes, if, if I may, I'd like just to, the panel just to sort of give a, a sort of uh, short synopsis of what their, their, their wisdom and viewpoint on on business beyond borders. Thank you. Um, I'm not sure it's wisdom, um, but based <laughs> on the things that we've seen and, and experienced, um, I would say definitely um, it is easy to get distracted, so play to your strengths. Collaborate, collaborate wisely with people that are going to add to your offer um, and, um, and take the advice that's available. I guess mine would be um, do your research, look at the opportunity where it is, understand that market, as has already been said, and, and really understand what that opportunity will look like in a year or two's time. So plan it out and become much more structured in your, in your approach. Thank you. Um, I suppose if your business or organization is at a point where you're looking for ways to be more productive, more innovative, or more resilient, or probably a combination of all three of those, then consider exporting uh, very seriously and take uh, advice from the Department for International Trade and, and, and others, because if we can, uh, you can, and uh, very happy to hear from any of you if you want um, some more insights into our experience. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'd like to thank the panel, and I think they've highlighted the fact that actually you don't have to look at developing business in isolation. There's a lot of support out there, and there's, there's a lot of wisdom. Um, and actually learning from other people, you, you can do an awful lot, uh, whether it is you know, specific support from DIT or uh, a Midlands export champion or the work of the council and Kate. There, there's an appetite to grow business. Uh, an activity, um, and it isn't all the sole area of large entities. Um, the small can export, with, and that's one of the strengths about the internet in particular. Um, the barriers are, are less than the, they used to be to actually develop business. So I'm particularly grateful to all three, Kate, uh, Charlie, and Gary, for their contribution, because they're, they're all involved in this type of activity, and they're, and they're passionate about it. So if I may, can we join in thanking the panel? Thank you very much.